We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast is sponsored by Liquid Death. Are you thirsty? Parched? Do you like dark and eerie sinister names for your beverages? Then you'll love Liquid Death. Go to liquiddeath.com. Use the promo code BIGBLUE. Blue wire. Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always by my co-host Nick Bellato. Tonight we're here to talk a little bit more Giants football. Playoffs coming up this week. First matchup, hopefully first of many, against the Vikings. And so we wanted to kind of discuss some things that were on our mind regarding the Giants heading into this wildcard game. And one of them, at least for Nick and I, maybe that makes us homers, I hope not, is that we really feel like more so than at any point this season, this team could make a run. And that wasn't the case a few weeks ago when they got blown out by the Eagles. But things have changed since then. Most notably, the offense has evolved. And we're going to get to that. But today, we're going to discuss the five main reasons we think the Giants have an opportunity to make a run here in this playoffs. Not just to get to the playoffs, grind to the wild card game, and get your asses kicked like we saw Washington a few years ago against the Bucs when the Bucs won the Super Bowl a couple years ago. That's not the kind of playoff births I, births I look for personally. I look for the runs. I look for the chance to make a run. And I think this Giants team actually has a chance to make a run. So Nick, we have five reasons. We're not going to do them in any kind of order, but I'll say this. The ones we list first are the ones we think are playing a bigger factor in this. So let's start with our number one reason here. And I'll toss this over to you. Both of our number one reason for the Giants' chances of making a playoff run this year is the coaching edge that they have on both sides of the ball and at head coach. Three, all three, fa- all three facets um, going into this playoff. So, where do you want to start? There, I think we should start, and we've talked about this a lot throughout the week, Dan. But with Mike Kafka, what this offense has been able to do recently. And how we think it isn't just kind of a fluke because the Minnesota Vikings suck on defense and the Indianapolis Colts suck on defense. I think this offense really changed not just its philosophy, but how it is using personnel packages, which we brought up on the last show, but it's moving the football through the air. And it's also now running the football effectively out of 11 personnel. And Daniel Jones is still using his legs. It's like a collective approach from everything that we've seen this season. And it's culminating in I feel like the best, most efficient offensive performances over the last couple weeks now as the Giants are heading into the playoffs. Like if you look through the rest of the NFL, there are times when teams are hot. Like Seattle was hot earlier in the year, right? They kind of backed their way into the playoffs. The New York Giants didn't. New York Giants started hot, had their lull. Everyone was kind of writing them off. It was a question if they were going to make the playoffs. And then they were able to defeat Washington in the first primetime win since 2018. And yes, they lost to Minnesota, but they competed very hard throughout that game. And a lot of things went against them. We can go over some of that in this episode. And then they just absolutely demolished a team for the first time in quite a while. And I get it. It's the Indianapolis Colts. But if you follow the New York Giants, the New York Giants have not been in recent history, a team that has beaten teams they're supposed to in that type of manner. And the confidence for this team is now sky high. They're throwing the ball out of 11 personnel with quick game efficiently. Daniel Jones is clicking on all cylinders. And I think all of those things set this New York Giants offense up in a similar spot that they saw in week 16 in Minnesota to have success against what? The 30th ranked defense in the league heading into Minnesota. I really think this is a excellent spot to be in for your first wild card spot since 2016. Yeah, I'm with you, Nick. I think part of the coaching edge this is point number one, the coaching edge. It can be really described in a whole lot of different ways. We see today. Unfortunately, I hope it doesn't work out for them, but two teams have requested to 
interview Mike Kafka for their head coach shop. Not one, but two. And I haven't seen the Ben Johnson request yet, which I was expecting to get before the Kafka request. And part of the reason is I was listening to um, a clip that Doug Analytics put on put on Twitter from um, the Ringer podcast. And it might have been the athletic podcast, so I don't remember which one. But it was basically saying, like, look, there's a reason why these teams are going after Kafka already. He was a quarterback on six or seven different teams. He's been through a lot of different systems. And they look at what he's done with the Giants, and it's so unique because it's not the same system he brought over uh, that he learned with Kansas City and under Andy Reid. And it's changed so much. It's evolved so much. You just touched on how much this offense has evolved really since the overtime of that Washington game. And there's a lot to talk about when it comes to the coaching edge that I think the Giants have going into this playoffs. For starters, I think they have an edge in the red zone on offense with Mike Kafka calling the plays and designing the plays. I think they have an edge on in the on the, in the red zone on defense with Wink Martindale. I think they have an edge on third downs with Wink Martindale. On third downs with Kafka, I think a lot of that is dependent on Daniel Jones, who's been very good on those third and long situations. They don't want to get him into those in the first place, but they're trying to get him into third and more manageable. But he also gives them an edge there too, I think, Kafka. I think Dable gives them an edge. I really do. I feel like he's had a good feel for the game. He's made some really good situational calls. So that that is there every week. Like, for example, it's not to knock Ed Donatel, and that's the Vikings defensive coordinator, correct? Yes. And it's not to knock him, but watching that first game on film, man, it felt like he didn't do a good job of adjusting to what the Giants were trying to do. And maybe now he has extra time to look over the tape and see what the Giants did. And I, I don't expect the Giants to do exactly what they did, by the way, against Minnesota two weeks ago. Knowing knowing this coaching staff, there's going to be different wrinkles. There's going to be different things. And like we've always said, Mike Kafka and Brian Dable, they're tendency breakers. So they're going to break the tendencies that Minnesota has on film. And if Minnesota adjusts to that, they will adjust as well. But I felt like N. Donatel was kind of outmatched in that game. I didn't really see him doing anything too interesting. I didn't think he adjusted great to what Kafka wanted to do. On the flip side of the ball, yeah, I'm going to give some credit to O'Connell, Kevin O'Connell, calling the plays for Minnesota. He deserves it. But not every game are the Giants going to march into it and, and face a team that has a really good option there calling the plays. And on the flip side of that, Wink Martindale has done a really good job, I think, calling defensive plays. We can look at some stats, right? The Giants are 27th in DVOA on defense. But how much of that is Wink Martindale's fault? How much of that is... Dave Gettleman's fault, right? Like, look at the roster here that they have on the defense side of the ball and factor in that they've had some of their best players injured. Literally all of their best players injured besides Dexter Lawrence. Every single one of their good players on defense has been hurt at some point besides Dexter Lawrence. No depth, no linebackers whatsoever that he inherited from, from the past GM. And honestly, I don't think 27 DVO is so bad when I consider how good Wink Martindale's been in the red zone, how good the Giants defense has been in the red zone, how good the Giants defense has been on third down. So I feel like the coaching edge boils down to that. But I like what you said also, because kind of the sub bullet of why do they have an advantage here and why can they make a run with the coaching edge is that they have evolved the offense. And not only have they evolved the offense to be more pass heavy and 11 personnel heavy with more wide receivers on the field and less tight ends. But in addition to that, teams haven't really seen too much of it yet. Yeah, they have a few games on film of what the Giants are trying to do, but they have a lot of other games where the Giants are running a very different offense than the one they're going to be running in this playoff run, I think, because I don't think it's just matchup based like Colts, Vikings. I think this is what it is now. I think this is where the offense is going to be moving forward, especially as they add more personnel to fit that style in the offseason. But even for this playoff run, no matter who they play, the Vi not only just the match against the Vikings. So now you have an, of, an evolution of an offense, one that defenses haven't Real defense quarters haven't really seen too much of, and it's kind of clicking right now, right? Like the passing game has looked better than it has all season. So now you have the possibility of this offense really taking a jump that we haven't actually seen just yet. Like they might have not reached their peak just yet as a passing game. No, they haven't. And if we go back to that Vikings game, we'll probably have a nice detailed breakdown when we bring Sean back on the podcast so he can officially become a friend of the podcast instead of just an acquaintance with his yes. second appearance. We're really looking forward to that because he did an excellent job breaking down the Vikings before that week 16 matchup. Dan, remember what Mike Kafka was doing, right? It was much more emphasis on 11 personnel. And what were the Giants doing? A lot throughout the season, a lot of three by one sets. I felt like against Minnesota, and I don't have numbers on this, but I did feel like against Minnesota, it was much more two by two and it was much more stacks. And what the Giants were doing is they were aligning those stacks to the boundary a lot of the times. And they would basically just use Saquon Barkley towards the boundary as a three man route concept. And whenever that linebacker started to move with Saquon Barkley, if Saquon Barkley had an edge in that linebacker, Daniel Jones took Saquon Barkley. So a lot of that passing attack ran through Saquon Barkley, not the majority of it, but I think he had 10 targets in that game. And that wasn't really a mistake. But what else did the Giants do? They used those stacks to create free releases for the wide receiver who was off the line of scrimmage to have that free release to the inside. We saw it on the second and nine at the end of the first half. 
Richie James was wide open. Daniel Jones didn't see him. Pressure got to Daniel Jones. He threw it out of bounds. And then the third and five, the big third and five play, Richie James ended up dropping it because Mike Kafka saw what the stack did. I think the second and nine too, that was to the field side. So they switched it up, made it a shorter path, put it on the boundary in a huge high leverage situation. Richie James was wide open, but James unfortunately ended up dropping the football. Another huge thing that Mike Kafka did. And this is something that he's used throughout the season, but I felt like he really used it a ton against Minnesota. Switch releases, baby. Switch releases. We saw, Dan, and we've been talking about this since week one. We saw the first post wheel shot from Daniel Jones from the field side to Richie James. It went right. for over 30 yards. That was on a switch release with Kenny Galladay, by the way. It wasn't even Isaiah Hodgins. And Kenny Galladay, his job was to basically just get in the way of the apex defender who was trying, attempting to work over the top through traffic to get to Richie James. Daniel Jones did an excellent job recognizing it and then attacking vertically for like a 33 yard gain to Richie James. I think those switch releases are going to be a big part of this game plan. I think those stacks are going to be a big part of this game plan. And I also think we might see a little bit more Daniel Bellinger. I think we might even see a little bit more Daniel Bellinger acting as a fullback, which the first time we saw that was in this game, at least right. him in the passing attack, which was that fullback where he leaked out, ran the deep over, and unfortunately handed up fumbling the football. And then we had the fullback leak play against the Indianapolis Colts. So I think that wrinkle will also be a part of this passing attack. I think you're 100% right. And just going over what you just said, I mean, you throw out all of these different things that he's done, the different route combinations, the stack, the switch releases, the stack by receivers, the two by two sets versus the three by one, using Daniel Bellinger's fullback, all these things can be grouped into the same thing. And that's the coaching edge because how many other coordinators are doing this? I know Kyle Shanahan does this type of stuff really when what I mean by this, I mean just like a multitude of different things. But some of these teams are just running their offense, dude. Like I watch the Eagles. They're simply running their offense. Their offense looks very similar every time I watch the Eagles. That's the straight up. And Kellen Moore, it's he's a great coordinator. He find, He's found really good ways to beat Wink Martindale. That Dallas offense doesn't look that unique to me either. I'm not seeing new wrinkles there every week either. Tampa Bay, hell no, they're not putting in new wrinkles in their offense. They're getting better now. They're starting to really get on the same page, it seems like. But they're not putting in new wrinkles to their offense either. I feel like the Giants are one of the few teams that are using this multiple, unique offense that's evolving all the time. You're seeing new things every week. And if we saw all these new things in the regular season, what do you think we're going to see in the playoffs, right? No matter what the matchup is, no matter if they won two, three, or four games in this playoffs, they're going to have different things every single game. And it's not just in the past game. They add new things to the run game as well. So now we're seeing more, you know, wham block here, trap, and you're seeing all these different things that were like, oh, wait, now that's not something we put on tape earlier this season. And what does that do? It keeps the defense off guard. It gives you a better chance of catching them in the wrong spot at the right time so you can hit a big play on offense. And I think that 30 plus yard pass to Richie James was really important, Dan. You know why? Because the week before against Washington, we were almost laughing at how much Jack Del Rio was disrespecting Daniel Jones with some of his coverages to the field side. Yes. And Ed Donatel, I don't feel like he was nearly as disrespectful to Daniel Jones, but Daniel Jones was cognizant of the fact that defensive coordinators were saying, hey, throw to the field side. We don't really trust the fact that you're going to do it. And Daniel Jones took advantage of it. Now, that was more of a coverage mishap than, say, just straight disrespect, because just to go back to that Washington game, Jack Del Rio was using the cornerback on the outside to the field side. So that is the wide side, a lot of space there. Daniel Jones typically doesn't throw the football to the wide side too often. And he would drop him to a deep half responsibility. So basically, there would be this entire portion of the field that this cornerback was bailing from that was eventually going to be open. So those deep corner routes and those out routes, those ended up coming open because the curl flat defender from like the hash was tasked to cover all that space. Because what Jack Del Rio was saying was, we don't think Daniel Jones is going to make those throws. He tends to read a lot to the boundary and things like that. So I love the fact that in the subsequent week against a, against a bad defense, mind you, but still he recognized it and he could have took the drag. He could have took the in route. He didn't. He said, I know that's going to be open. And he put a ball out there for Richie James. And I feel like that is some sort of maturity from Daniel Jones, development and growth. And that is also coinciding with this offense kind of expanding into a more pass heavy attack. Yeah, I think that's all true. And I think all those factors give the Giants a coaching edge on the offensive side of the ball. But one that you discussed briefly that I want to touch on a little bit more is just the difference between what I see from Mike Kafka and Brian Dable. I'm just grouping them both together because it's really hard to know yeah. like who is in responsible for what. We know Mike Kafka's calling the plays. We don't exactly know who's designing these plays, what you know, how much say each has. Let's just call it Kafka and Dable. But on that note, like 
is every coach doing what you just said, like utilizing their talent in the way they are? He knows, like, what did he do earlier? We talked about this on the last podcast. We talked about Daniel Jones' development. We said he looked at the quarterback and he said his biggest flaw by far is when he's sitting in that pocket waiting for reads to come open and waiting too long. So what does he do? He finds an easy solution. He says, take the B-gap run if you see it. Similar type situation to what you were talking about before with the two-by-two sets and you have Barkley coming out. What is a good way, another good way to get easy offense? One is having your quarterback scramble. Another is getting the ball out quick in space to a talent like Saquon Barkley. That's another good way to have easy, efficient offense. And that's going to go into what the last point I have. And so I don't want to spoil it too much, but it's just another way for him to gain an edge on the offensive side of the ball. However small that edge may be, it's still an edge. It's still something that I don't see every coordinator doing. And I think the best part, Dan, of using those stacks too, and when you can confirm that Saquon Barkley, is going to be covered by that linebacker and they're not going to switch or anything like that, is that linebacker needs to work through traffic because what the Giants do with those stacks is they're going to have an in-breaking route. If it's man coverage, Daniel Bellinger, say, if it's Daniel Bellinger who is on the line of scrimmage, they use him in that manner. They use Darius Slayton. They use Richie James, typically off the line of scrimmage. Daniel Bellinger is going to sit if it's zone. If it's man coverage, he's typically going to drag. He's going to run some sort of in-breaking route, maybe a slant, something like that. But now that linebacker needs to fight over the top of that or work underneath that. And there's just traffic in the way of him, right? So now Saquon Barkley has that leverage on that linebacker. And typically what we saw Stefan Gilmore and the Colts do, Stefan Gilmore sometimes would sit, right? He would squat and he would be like, okay, they're going to release Saquon Barkley out to the flat. So now I got to sit here and pay attention to the running back releasing to the flat. Somebody else has to take the responsibility of who's behind me. But that spot route that is being run or that drag, whatever you want to call it, a spot route is different than the drag, but depending on the coverage, that's what that guy who's on the line of scrimmage is going to run. Is typically open because Stefan Gilmore's eyes are now going to be on Saquon Barkley coming out of the backfield. So it, it's route combinations working in unison. That's something that we've been applauding Mike Kafka for for this entire season. It's something that we needed to see because we didn't see enough of it with the last coordinator. And it seems so much easier said. It is so much easier said than done. It seems so much easier when you hear it out loud. Like, why can't every coordinator just come up with route combinations that work in conjunction with each other and create openings and voids in the defense? But it's not that easy because the defense has a job too to take those away. And so obviously Mike Kafka every week, week in and week out. I know some people had a problem with the middle of the season when the Giants were like one, four and one in that in that six game stretch. But it's like, well, guess what? There are injuries. And guess what? Not every single game is going to be perfect from an offensive coordinator standpoint. And he had to figure things out too. He had to figure it out in that Washington game in overtime. Like, all right. And he might've figured it out a little bit earlier against Detroit in that garbage time. But whenever he figured it out, he said, all right, we now feel comfortable with where the offensive line is at at this stage of the season because they weren't comfortable against Dallas in week three. They just weren't. They tried to run a different, tried to have a different game plan against that style of defense with Dan Quinn. And it just didn't work. Simply, there was too much pressure, but readjusted evolved it and now they're doing a good job of adjusting to things like pressure and some deficiencies on the offensive line so i really do feel like the coaching edge going into this playoff run is super super high this is kind of a bonus reason it's not one of the five reasons but uh, i want to bring it in because it's something that i think is really important to talk about as well so let's just call it six reasons now okay we'll adjust it but it's five reasons and a bonus reason i still have some points on martindale i want to bring up okay let's let's go to martindale first i'll wrap the i'll, I'll bring that into the end Okay, that's excellent. We're looking forward to hearing that. But Wink Martindale, look, Wink is going to Wink, right? We all know pressure breaks pipes. That is his identity, and he's not going to stray away from that. But I do think there have been times throughout the year where Wink didn't necessarily Wink, right? And the right. one that really pops out to me is week seven against a young quarterback named Trevor Lawrence, who was leading a drive to beat the New York Giants, tackled at the one-yard line. We all remember it, right? The last three plays of that game, you would imagine Wink Martindale is going to be just bringing six, seven, get after that young quarterback. That's not what he did at all. On all three of those plays, that dude dropped eight, right? So he can be unpredictable at times. Now, when we look at the game against Washington in week 15 that the Giants won, and then week 16, the week 15 game, what did the Giants do? Because they learned in the week 13 game, I think they had to do this. They freaking bracketed and right. they double covered Terry McLaurin week 16. They attempted to do the same thing. I feel like they ratcheted up the pressure a little bit more on Kirk cousins, but they attempted to do the same thing with Justin Jefferson. It was to no avail. I think we're going to get that same type of approach, but now you're going to have a Dory Jackson, Xavier McKinney, which we'll get into a little bit later, but I, I know he has his philosophy, but I do think he will change things up and he's not just going to be predictable to the 
point where he can absolutely be exploited. And I think that the Giants are getting these fresh bodies back is just should do wonders for the defense. And hopefully it can do something to contain 18, who is just unreal. Yeah, and I think you nailed it. Like when Nick says Wink is going to wink, pressure breaks pipes, he means Wink is going to send a lot of blitzers a lot of the time. And it's not always going to work. It didn't work so well at the end of that Vikings game, but it is going to work at times too. I mean, if you think about it, does Wink Barndale give the Giants a coaching edge? The answer is yes. There are plenty of games that support this. The Baltimore Ravens game earlier this season, Lamar Jackson's fully healthy for that game. And despite Lamar Jackson being fully healthy for that game, Wink Barndale found a way to shut down that offense and shut him down. Justin Fields, look, it wasn't the best version of Justin Fields in that offense at that time. But at the same time, Wink Mardell had a really unique plan, I thought, to really destroy Justin Fields in that game. You talked about some of the things he did to mix and match and, and, and make it difficult for Trevor Lawrence. I thought he did a great job in the second matchup against Dak Prescott, by the way, for example. Two interceptions, and I thought for, for a while that defense held up really well, especially given their run defense deficiencies. But more so than any to me, Nick, is just look at this last week. Week 18 against the Eagles. Wink Martindale is told you're going to use every single backup you have on that defense. Every single one. Gerard Davis, you just signed him. You brought him up from the practice squad. He's been on the team for a couple of days. Well, guess what? He's your Mike. Okay. He's your Mike linebacker in this game, right? Now you have just a slew of backups. You don't get a single one of your good defensive linemen to play. And everything I heard from that game, Nick, was the Eagles a little weary. Eagles a little concerned. Eagles offense didn't look that good. They played the starters all the way through. They never really broke through at all. And when you watch that game, we ran it back. I mean, we didn't do a film review, but we both watched it separately. And I was like, damn, this is fucking impressive. Like, excuse my language. This is damn impressive what Wink is able to do with the full backups against the full starting Eagles offense. And it just goes to show that like scheme and coaching can play a huge role at times. Like he, and I hope he didn't waste a lot of the, a lot of the interesting blitzes and things that he would want to do. If the giants are lucky enough to beat the Vikings, because I think they then would play the Eagles again would be my prediction. And I would hope that he has some stuff that, you know, um, Sirianni and Hertz aren't used to. And I'm sure he, he will. But the fact of the matter is like, I watched that and I was like, he's getting to Hertz. He's pressuring Hertz. He's getting some free hits on Hertz. He's forcing Hertz to move and get out of the pocket and not just sit and run that system that they want to run comfortably. And that's something that you're going to get every week from Wake Martindale. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Ready to win money and boost your odds? WinBet is now live in Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, and Virginia. We're bringing the excitement of Win Las Vegas to online sports betting and casino play. Exclusive rewards are right at your fingertips with Win Rewards on WinBet. Get in on all your favorite teams, players, and sports from the NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL, golf, MMA, WNBA, college football, and more. Great promos, odds, and payouts are happening right now at WinBet. From boosted same-game parlays to live in-game odds on every major sports, WinBet has what you need to win. Ready to play? Sign up today to receive a special offer. Bet $100, win $100. Download Bet Win. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. Be on the lookout for the Win Bet Win Hour each Thursday from 5 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time. During Win Bet Win Hour, marquee games of the week will have better odds on Win Bet, giving you a larger payout opportunity. 
Offer subject to change. Terms and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in the state where play through WinBet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, please call 1-800-522-4700. I was running low on some groceries, so naturally, I went to a store that sells said groceries to look for my refreshments. There I was in the beverage aisle, and I saw these tall boys of what I originally thought was beer, but it was actually in the bottled water section, and it was mountain spring water from the Alps, and it was called Liquid Death. And I thought to myself, do I want to try this beverage that is named Liquid Death because I hear it brutally murders your thirst, and their recyclable tall boy cans are helping to bring death to plastic bottles. And they also donate 10% of their profits from every can sold to help kill plastic pollution. Those are some pretty cool causes. So I bought myself some liquid death and I enjoyed it. I was parched and then I drank it. So I was not. So if you want to try some of this liquid death, go get liquid death at your local Whole Foods Market, Target, and Stop and Shop stores, or find a Liquid Death retailer near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com slash bigblue. That's liquiddeath.com slash bigblue. I want to bring up just the coverages that Wink Martindale used against Minnesota. Now, it's a little bit difficult to really quantify the coverages because the Giants are going to have a Dory Jackson and Xavier McKinney back for this game, right? So it Not could necessarily change. a Dory, but likely. Likely, of course. Yeah. So I think, yes, we have to specify that. But the Giants ran cover six 31% of the time against the Minnesota Vikings. And that was the most of any other game this year. Now, cover six is a split between cover two and cover four. Typically, you're going to use cover four to the field side. It doesn't have to be. And then cover two to the boundary side. And you can also use cover two if it's a three by one set to the lone receiver side. So you can basically have, look, it's cover two, which is a zone, but you can have your cover two defender, the flat defender in trail underneath with your safety kind of clouding over the top, depending on how you want to play the coverage. Using that 31% of the time is a complete deviation from everything that Wink Martindale did throughout the entire season, other than week 15, because in week 15, the New York Giants did a similar type of approach against Terry McLaurin, where they ran cover six 25.9% of the times. And the Giants also ran quarters coverage 22.5% of the time against the Minnesota Vikings cover three, only 16.9% of the time. And then they ran the second most cover two snaps, which was only 5.6% of the time against the Vikings. Now, some of this is situational, but my point is the Giants against this team are in a little bit more of a middle of the field open, a little bit more of having multiple guys back there and not just that one free safety back there or not just cover three where there are some vulnerabilities with the deep pass. I'm wondering if Kevin O'Connell and the Vikings, and I can't wait to ask Sean a question like this, if they're going to look at that and they're going to be like, let's try to run the football. Let's try to establish the run, use our star running back to to get the giants on the ropes. And I hope they do that. Cause I don't think it would work with two hurt yes. offensive linemen, but at the same time, Kirk cousins is a quarterback that can be rattled. You really want him dropping back that often with Dexter Lawrence going up against the guy who I don't even know his name, Leonard Williams, Kayvon Thibodeau, Aziz Ojalar. It's just another thing that I'm, I'm excited to see how it materializes through the week. And I am wondering if the giants do go with that similar approach of having multiple guys back and playing too high and having that one less guy in the box, if they're going to try to take advantage of it with a rushing attack that isn't necessarily conducive to success against a team like the giants who typically play these zone rushing teams. Well, yeah, that's a great point. It's almost like the Brandon Staley, the not just Staley. There are plenty of defensive minds who have the same mindset, which is dare him to run, right? Let him run, see what happens. And if they do, I'm not so sure the Vikings can be successful, which is a crazy thing to say as a analyst and fan of the Giants, one of the worst run defenses in the NFL, admittedly, but also one of the most Jekyll and Hyde run defenses in the NFL. Teams that run zone against the Giants, the Seahawks, the Vikings have not found that much success. Teams that run power and gap and weird, interesting things on the perimeter against the Giants have had a lot of success and it could have had even more like the Jaguars game. They could have ran for another 100 yards if those two players just like made the right decisions uh, on Etienne. Uh, and I think it was a Jones while while on the move. So it's like and, and Christian Kirk. Remember that third down play yeah. or the yeah, I think it was third it was down. When stop as like a game changing play. And I could have went for like a touchdown. Like we talked right. about how the Giants should have beat the Vikings. Jacksonville 
should have beat the Giants. Right. <laughs> like they left so many points yeah. on the field. But the other interesting thing about this, by the way, is like we talk we're talking about we're still on point one, which is the coaching edge. And it's like when we had Sean on for the Vikings preview earlier season, he's like, Yeah, honestly, like I just don't think they're going to do much different with their run game. They're probably just gonna run a lot of the zone. The same thing they haven't I've seen maybe a couple plays of of pullers on you know, of pulling guards or something like that. And then it happened. It was all zone. And now we go into this game and I don't think much is going to change. We just discussed like Mike Kafka. What is he going to do? He's mixed in new things with the run game all season. He's had zone concepts, power and gap. He's had wham blocks. Like he's done all sorts of different things to spark the run game. The Vikings are probably just going to come out here and run their zone blocking run game with injured offensive linemen and new guys there. And that's why I'm okay just daring them to run. Like you said, playing more middle-of-the-field open looks and having two guys back there, right? Because I think that's the right game plan for a team like the Vikings right now. And we'll get more into the Vikings matchup later. We have a preview pod with Sean. I'm going to do a preview pod with uh, another another analyst, Matthew. We're going to have two preview pods this week, and we're going to talk with – we have a bunch of things coming up this week. So we don't want to do too much on the Vikings, but I do think that adds to the coaching edge. Speaking of the coaching edge, it's just something yeah. that made me smile. The Giants had a ton of success running the football on the Titans. They were like the only football team to have right. success running the football on the Titans. But do you remember in week two at home against Carolina, the Giants tried that similar approach and it absolutely got shut down. I believe I called Frankie Louvu, yeah. Brian Urlacher, because he was just all over the field against the Giants. Well, what yeah. ended up happening of a couple games throughout the next few games, the Giants ended up really going with that play action heavy approach because those linebackers were so aggressive pinching down to stop Saquon Barkley and stop 26. And that led to Daniel Jones efficiently distributing the football through the passing attack and using his legs. And it's just one of those things, man, that made me smile because it, it speaks to Mike Kafka early adjustments, not sticking to his guns, adjusting based on what the opponent is doing. That is something that you want your coaches to do. And it also speaks to the development of Daniel Jones. And as you were talking just a little bit ago, I just smirked and smiled because I just thought of the yeah. position the New York Giants are in right now. And if you were to go a year back and told me that the Giants were in this position, man, I would have been ecstatic because yeah. it was bad. It was bad. And it was like, we were just hoping for them to get average on the coaching front. Now we have elite. It's crazy to see. It's crazy to have the difference there, like just from bottom to top on just one thing. But that thing ends up meaning so much. It's the re it's the biggest reason the Giants have not only made the playoffs this season, but the biggest reason for us, our number one reason. And again, these won't be in order. The second one we're about to bring up is definitely not my second most important thing, but it's up there. And the five reasons why we think they can make a run because they have a coaching edge. So let's get into number two. We spend a lot of time on number one. Number two would be the injury situation for the Giants, right? So. Think about that 2011 season. Here are some things to note about that 2011 season. Eli Manning almost threw for 5,000 yards. Eli Manning had the 32nd ranked pass blocking grade offensive line from Pro Football Focus. 32nd, dead last. Eli Manning and the Giants offense, third worst run offense in, in, in football. Third worst or second worst defense overall. So now you have the worst pass blocking group, one of the worst rushing attacks on offense. And one of the worst overall defenses. So how did they make a Super Bowl run? It's not just that Eli Manning was insane. He had 11 touchdowns, one interception during that run. Filthy. I mean, you can go game by game break down. It's also the second factor. There were two-pronged approach there. They got really healthy at the right time on the defensive side of the ball. That was the biggest difference. You look at that season, there were a lot of injuries throughout the year on the defensive side of the ball. And then in the playoffs, they got really right towards the back end, right right before that Dallas game in the, in the, in the um the last game of the regular season to win the division at home where Victor Cruz had like that long touchdown on that out route on the sideline. That game, they started to get really healthy and then it carried over into the playoffs. And that's so important. It's not about being healthy in week six or week seven. It's about being healthy at the right time. And I feel like this Giants team is getting healthy at the right time. We don't know for sure. The expectation is that Dory Jackson will be back for this game. Xavier McKinney, we know he's going to be back. Defensive line-wise, Leonard Williams is not expected to miss this game, and he had a full week to rest. A uh, full week to rest last week, which thank God he did. Aziz Ojolari had that little basketball ankle roll. Well, then he had a full week to rest, and he's expected to be perfectly fine. No injury to Lawrence, no injury to Thibodeau, no injury to um, a lot of their offensive line is healthy, right? Evan Neal might be playing a little bit through an injury, but we don't know that for sure. He could just honestly, I think the issues with Evan Neal are just similar to what we saw earlier this season. It's not like he, I don't think the injury is really indicative of why he's been struggling. 
We have a left guard situation from a health standpoint, way better than it's been. Ben Bredesen, fully healthy now, was injured for a lot of that middle part of the season. Same goes for the wide receiver front. Yeah, it's not the greatest group we ever wanted, but Hodgins is going into this healthy. Richie James is going into this healthy. And weirdly enough, he's basically irreplaceable. Um, and, uh, and it's true, sadly. And then Darius Slayton also going into this healthy. And then more importantly than anything else, Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley. Daniel Jones had a little bit of an injury earlier this season. Played through it. Fine. He looks good. Dan Saquon Barkley, remember that stretch after the bye week over like a, it's a long sample size, it's like a four, five, six game sample size where he was just like 3.1 yards per carry, horrible rushing over expectation, and noticeably on film looked like he didn't have the same juice and burst. Comes out fresher. And then since that point, he's had juice. He's had burst. He looked like the early season Barkley. Now with a full week off, the expectation for me is he's going to have that same kind of juice and burst going into this playoff run. So I just feel like they're getting really healthy at the right time. Absolutely. And that's very exciting. Remember that fourth and two rushing touchdown against Minnesota that Saquon yeah. had? He hit that hole and it was an excellent combo block from John Feliciano, Mark Lewinsky, and an excellent individual effort from Nick Gates to hold up Zadarius Smith. But he hit that hole. And the way he was able to accelerate out of his break once he was faced in the alley with that safety, just plant his left foot in the ground and then explode to yes. just erase the angle. That's the Saquon Barkley that we saw in week one, the Saquon Barkley from Penn State, the Saquon Barkley from 2018, whatever iteration of Saquon Barkley you want to discuss, he's here right now and he's playing at that level and he's healthy. So if we can have that in this playoff game against that same Minnesota Vikings team, that's such a difference maker. And I think and you already said it, we're not 100% certain if he's going to be back. But the biggest difference maker in terms of yes. the, the players we're getting back is Adoree Jackson. Just because Justin Jefferson, if the Giants can do half of what the Green Bay Packers did to Justin Jefferson with Jair Alexander, and it wasn't just Jair Alexander shutting him down. And I'm going to dive deeper into that tape. But right. from the little bit that I saw, there was a lot of safety help over the top. Yeah, they Packers, were coverage a lot. They rolled coverage a lot towards Justin Jefferson. They said, beat us with 19, Adam Thielen, beat us with freaking 17, KJ Osborne, yeah. or TJ Hawkinson. You could throw the football to him. That's fine. But Packers also had, at that time, before Quay Walker gets tossed out of games, really athletic linebackers who are pretty good in coverage. And they were really pressuring Kirk Cousins. I think Wink Martindale can pressure Kirk Cousins. I think yes. he can get after Kirk Cousins. It's just you need to shut down Justin Jefferson because there were a lot of times when Wink Martindale, and I know we're, we're kind of talking again about the Vikings, but it's kind of hard not to since this is playoff week. But there were a lot of times, Stan, when Wink Martindale brought cover zero and they were like, all right, Fabian Moreau, it's you and Justin Jefferson. The pressure would have gotten home, but... Kirk Cousins was so quick to deliver the football to a spot where Justin Jefferson was, and Fabian Moreau just couldn't anticipate it. Really difficult yes. assignment for really any type of cornerback, but having a Dory Jackson out there just to harass him at the line of scrimmage can make a bigger difference than what Fabian Moreau or Cordell Flott or Nick McLeod or whoever would have. So that I feel like is the is the biggest addition if he is going to come back. And I don't think we can undersell Xavier McKinney either. I really think just having him out there to ensure that everybody is in the right location and also right. break on passes if they are bracketing, if he's over the top bracketing just, Justin Jefferson, what he can do. It's a... Uh, it's something that just having those two guys roaming the secondary can really make that defense click. We always talked about it throughout the offseason, Dan. But like, hey, these cornerbacks, if any of them get injured, we're screwed, right? This system is predicated on cornerback play, secondary play. Giants are getting, hopefully, two secondary pieces back. Hopefully, Adore can play. Yeah, exactly. And what you said about McKinney is true. I mean, look, his hand may not be fully recovered at any point this year. He's not going to potentially be making some interceptions, but he's going to put himself in the right spot. You even saw it on that big completion against the Colts two weeks ago. He was at the line of scrimmage and worked his way all the way back into the top of the into the top of coverage and and was in position to make a play on the ball. Didn't make a play on it, but was in position. Later in the game, they tried that bomb toward the toward the right hash and McKinney breaks on it and almost intercepts the ball. I still don't know how or why he didn't intercept the ball. Maybe the Colts guy looks like maybe he got a hand in there or whatever. It's fine. Maybe the interceptions won't come, but he's still breaking on the ball and he's still putting himself in a position. We didn't see all that much of that was Avery McKinney out. If we're going to be honest, I'm not trying to sit here and blame Dane Belt and Julian love all these other dudes. But the one time we even saw anything close was the touchdown to Devontae Smith where Julian love just completely misread it and, and, and took ownership for it. But that was the closest thing we saw to a safety being in the line of a long pass in coverage. So I really feel like having that back does help. But in addition to that, it's what he offers in the run defense. That's my biggest point with, with Xavier McKinney. He's always in the right spot in, in run fits. He's always crashing down and pick, picking the right and not just picking the right spot, but making the tackles. He had like four solo tackles against the Colts. He's just offers something different. It's not to say Julian Love wasn't pretty good at that too. He is. 
but Xavier McKinney's even better at that. And the Giants run defense is going to need that because there's not, it's not like it's perfect, right? Like we love the matchup against the zone team, like the Vikings, but it ain't perfect. And they're going to need the second and third level players to make stops as well. So just being healthy at this time is so important. They came out of that Colts game two weeks ago, the last game they tried and threatened and played their starters for pretty damn good. Like Justin Pinnock got a little hurt or whatever. No, it wasn't Pinnock. It was, um, one other player got a little bit of an injury, but nothing crazy there. And then they got to rest their starters and take a bye week. That's very important for this team. So they're coming into this super healthy. Absolutely. Really looking forward to it. And you also got to look around the NFC. There are teams that are dealing with some injuries. The Minnesota Vikings are dealing with injuries on their offensive line that could be exploited. Although Oli Udu, I remember him because he was out of Elon, and that's just a really weird college to have a kid coming out of the draft. He has been, according to Pro Football Focus, pretty solid. I would have to really watch the tape to, to mm -hmm. confirm that. But Jalen Hurts is dealing with an injury, and we don't know how serious that is. We would like to think that, or Philly fans would like to think, and I guess everybody would like to think that it's not that serious, but that's not really something that we're certain of at this right. point. So you look around the NFC, there are some teams that are a little beat up right now and a little injured. And we'll get to that soon. That's going to be one of the points as well. But the third point that the Giants have that gives us hope and reason that we think they can make noise during this playoff run is that they have a defensive line advantage. You look around the NFL, you look around the playoffs right now, all 14 teams, and the Giants have a case to be made that they have one of the better defensive lines in the NFL right now. With Aziz Ojolari likely fully healthy, Leonard Williams probably isn't going to be fully healthy the rest of the season, but the version of him we've seen in the last few weeks before his re-injury has been pretty damn good, at times even really good, and he has a full week to recover, right? He has that extra full week because the Giants wisely didn't ram their starters into a meaningless Eagles game. And I say wisely. That's not what everybody agrees with. I understand that. Dexter Lawrence and Kayvon Thibodeau. That front four right there, dude, is pretty damn freaking good. It's only going to get better because a lot of those players are really young. But even where it's at right now, heading into this playoff run, I feel really confident. I love what I saw from Aziz Ojolari when he came back from the injury as a pass rusher. I love what I've seen from Kayvon Thibodeau all season. Dexter Lawrence, that one goes without saying. And then Leonard Williams is just a fourth piece. Like, even if you view Williams as like the fourth man in that combination, they're the fourth most effective player that you can put on that defensive front. It's still a filthy defensive front. And we're going to have matchups in this playoff run. And it may not be right away, but it is. It actually is right away where they're just going to have such a good advantage, right? Like this front four against the Vikings offensive line, what's left the Vikings offensive line without their best player in my mind, Brian O'Neill at right tackle with whatever the hell they're going to put out there at center, whether that be Garrett Bradbury playing through injury to the point where Kevin O'Connell was literally like, we'll see what happens with Bradbury. I don't really want to put him out there if it's like... I'm almost a little worried to put him out there. What does that tell me? Well, he's really injured and they might like, he really wants to play Bradbury. He's probably like pushing hard for O'Connell, but O'Connell's like, dude, like if you play, you might get really injured, really seriously injured. Like, I don't know for sure if I can put you out there. And that situation alone tells me it's a bad situation there at center there for the Vikings, right? Tackle center. So they're going to have a massive advantage right away in the trenches, winning the line of scrimmage. What have we always said? The easiest way to win football is get a great quarterback, win both of the trend, win both the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. That's the easiest formula in football. It's been that way forever. It will always be that way, in my opinion. It all starts up front. And so with that advantage the Giants have versus the Vikings, it may not just be versus the Vikings, right? They're going to face an Eagles team maybe after that, let's say, for example, that's with a completely different team without Lane Johnson. We just saw it last week. The Giants' backups were getting consistent pressure against the Eagles in the backfield a lot. If you look throughout the rest of the NFC, there aren't that many great offensive line situations. Tampa is getting a little healthier to an extent, but they're not a great offensive line. Dallas's offensive line, people are saying, is playing the worst it's played all season. They're getting to their, you know, as the Giants offensive line kind of evolved throughout the season and is playing really good now, some of these offensive lines are playing much worse. Some of the best teams the Giants might have to face if they do make a playoff run. So I think the advantage the Giants have with that front four could be the key factor in them making a playoff run. Yeah, I would have to agree. And if you look back to the Minnesota game itself, they had 23 pressures in that game. Like Dexter Lawrence had seven of them, but Leonard Williams also had five. They sacked Kirk Cousins four times in that game. They got a lot of pressure, and I felt like Kirk Cousins did a good job delivering the football and then absorbing the hit. I'm hoping, and I know this is just a dumb narrative. There's really nothing solid or concrete about this, but there's a serious narrative about Kirk Cousins' inability to play in prime time when the lights are really, really bright. And I'm really hoping that that comes to fruition this week and that we get more of a more of a game like the one in week what was it 17 against the Green Bay Packers. Obviously, there's really nothing to really read into that or, or to prove that. But historically speaking, he has struggled in, right. in the biggest of moments.
Yeah, and that could be, you know, just for this specific matchup, that could definitely be in play for sure. And we'll see what happens there. Uh, obviously, the Giants are we're not like the greatest example of a counterpunch that because Daniel no, Jones has one primetime win his entire career. So and so it's not like we have the best, uh, I guess I should say, like counterpunch to that. But it is true. And it's something to consider. Let's go to our fourth point. This one, I think, deserves a little bit more discussion. Part of the reason I think the Giants can make noise in this playoff run is this is one of the weaker NFCs I've seen in a long, long time, especially with where the Eagles are at right now with this Lane Johnson situation and Jalen Hurts playing hurt and that offense looking very off. And now, now, now that could change really quick, right? Like we could go into the second round of the playoffs if the Giants don't have to play the Eagles for a reason, or even if the Giants do, and that Eagles offense could start clicking again like it was earlier season. We could be like, oh, we were foolish. They, you know, weren't fully trying for that last Giants game. They won't want to throw too much out there. Jalen Hurts just need to shake off Rust, yada yada, et cetera, et cetera. But there's a chance that this offense isn't what it was at that point. Dallas, they're certainly not at their peak of the season right now. Dallas Cowboys are not even close to playing their best football. Dak Prescott is probably playing the worst he has at any point this season. Something has gone wrong since they lost Anthony Brown at cornerback. They've been a completely different team on defense. It can't just be the Anthony Brown injury. It has to be something else. But that defense has not looked anywhere near what it looked like. The, the Jaguars game was the most alarming to me. Watching the Jaguars just torch through that defense en route to a comeback there was insanity. And so you have a Cowboys team not playing their best on either side of the ball, an Eagles team that might have some rust, a Bucks team that's like, yeah, I guess they're getting it together now, but am I really scared of the Bucks? Not really. The 49ers, it's in my opinion, probably at this point, like if not the Eagles, the biggest competition. But then at the same time, it's like Wink Martindale against Brock Purdy in a playoff game. I kind of feel pretty good about that. But then again, I should really consider the Kyle Shanahan factor. Yeah. Or it's like he can definitely counter some of the stuff Wink wants to do. But you know for sure Wink is going to come. If he gets that matchup against Purdy at this point, he's going to come out freaking firing. Like, we're going to see so <laughs> many blitzes against this kid. And if it's third and long situations, I think Wink will win those. Like, Kyle Shanahan's amazing. He designs great stuff. He's one of the best coaches in the NFL. But it's very hard to dig out a third and long, especially for a rookie quarterback. It doesn't matter what you scheme up in the pass game. It's hard. They could just run a screen, though, Dan, and the Giants are screwed. <laughs> they could run a screen. They're not really the best screen game team, but they could run a screen. But, like, you look at the rest of the NFC after the teams that I mentioned, and Seahawks, they already beat the Giants once, but they're not playing their best football whatsoever at this point in the season. Geno Smith hasn't been the same um, the second half of the season. And then which team am I forgetting? We're the Vikings who we're playing today. And that and that about wraps it up right there. So now you have all the teams covered. I got to say, I'm not really like going into this three, four weeks ago. You asked me and I'm like, all right, no matter what, the Giants have no shot against the Eagles. So I can already rule out being an easy run and an easy path. But now it's like, I don't know. This Eagles team doesn't look as good as it did to me earlier this season. And I've never quite felt like the 49ers were totally out of the Giants league just because of the Brock Purdy factor. I think dealing with Christian McCaffrey would be a huge issue with the 49ers. Oh, yeah. That's that's the one guy that I run game. And George Kittle, man, like George Kittle can own the edges and they're going to have a lot of counter and a lot of power gap. And that that's the opponent I think I'm most scared of. Them and the Eagles are two that I think the Giants can win if things break right for them and things can happen on any given Sunday, right? But if I had to pick the two teams that I would like to yeah. avoid, it would be those two teams. And if the Giants beat Minnesota, it's inevitable that they would play Philadelphia. And I think I'd rather play Philadelphia right now with this coaching staff seeing them twice rather than playing Kyle Shanahan and Brock Purdy, which is ridiculous to say, but I also think it makes sense because I think the, the coaching edge that the Giants have on a lot of teams it might not be as pronounced or even there with the 49ers, right? I know they have yeah. a lot of talent, but Kyle Shanahan is an excellent coach. Everything that they've done on the defensive side of the football with, what is it? De is it D'Amico Ryan? Yeah. D'Amico Ryan. I think he's the best defensive coordinator in the NFL. Exactly. He's one of the best defensive coordinators in the NFL. And, and that would be a matchup that I'm genu genuinely scared of, I think. But I would agree with that. I think based on what we've seen, and remember, football is a match. It's all about matchups. It's all about yeah. the game is literally de determined on how teams match up against each other. The Giants match up much better against the Eagles than they do the 49ers. Now, there still is the birdie factor. I still feel like he's going to make some big mistakes in the playoffs. I could be wrong about that. But it just in the end, like while I, when I sit at home and I'm like thinking about who's going to come out of this NFC, I'm like, am I really going to see Brock Purdy in a Super Bowl? That's just kind of how I think about it. Like it, it's so stupid and it's so archaic and it's so simplified. But I just don't think I'm going to see Brock Purdy in the Super Bowl. I don't know what it is. And we'll see if I'm wrong about that, of course. But I agree that they match up by far the worst against the 49ers. 
And the 40, that's why it's nuts though, right? Because this is a quarterback driven league. We know that. Right. Brock Purdy is that one liability that would be like, okay, I feel good that we're playing Brock Purdy in a playoff game. The Giants were playing the 49ers. Literally every other aspect of the 49ers terrifies me. The yeah. defense terrifies me. At, look, the secondary I think can be had a little bit. I think that that's been exploited over the last third of the season, I'd say. But blocking that front four, no thank you. Anything with those linebackers, nah, son. I don't right. want anything to do with that. The offensive line is pretty solid. They have probably the best tackle in football, and they have the best running back, arguably, in football. I think Saquon could have uh, something to say about that. Derrick Henry, whoever else you really want to throw in there. But Christian McCaffrey is a huge mismatch nightmare. Best tight end in football, other than maybe Travis Kelsey. I would say best I would take Kittle over. I would take a healthy Kittle over Kelsey every day, and that's my argument I've made forever when it comes to yeah. Kittle and Gronk because Kelsey isn't blocking. blocking. He's just not yeah. blocking. Yeah, and I, I agree with that. I think that's an excellent take. And then I even think their receivers, like guys like Ray Ray McLeod, that's like their Richie James, right? Like he can do <laughs> yeah, damage yeah. against you. And that's not even mentioning Brandon Ayuk and Debo Samuel. Debo now, yeah. So that's a scary team to me. And Elijah Mitchell has speed. Like you, you can. To I can totally see if the Giants play the Niners, Elijah Mitchell rips us up on some counter run or some perimeter run. That's just like, oh, we just let this dude just like totally beat these linebackers. Now we're like praying a safety makes a tackle. <laughs> and and I want to be clear too. Dan and I aren't prognosticating forward that we're definitely going to beat the Minnesota Vikings. No. Like I feel good heading into that matchup. We're just looking at the NFC in its totality and then giving reasons why we feel some teams would pose a bigger problem to the Giants than others. So I just For don't sure. want that to get misconstrued. Yeah, and and the Niners are definitely the biggest problem because they're the, the the run game they're going to throw at the Giants is going to totally f us up. It's just they're, they're going to have no answer. We're just going to hope for luck there, basically, in my opinion. Like either luck being Kyle Shannon goes away from the run and inexplicable times, or just like fumbles and stuff like that. I don't really know to be honest with you. There's no real answer to stop the run game, but hopefully you they don't use it. You would need to play such an efficient game on offense and not make any mistakes against yes. one of the best defenses in the NFL while also having to contain one of the best rushing attack, attacks in the NFL with one of the worst rush defenses in the NFL with the kind of attack that they're going to employ. Yeah, it's it's not great, but I still feel like, you know, that's their biggest hurdle and the rest of the NFC to me is very not is not is not re like again, Cowboys are not at their peak version of themselves right now. No. The Eagles I don't think are either. And so maybe 49ers are and that's fair and there's one team, but there's been past seasons where the Giants have, you know, had to run through a 15 and 1 Packers team for example in Lambeau Field and they they beat them in 2011, but they yeah. had to run through that team. Even 2007 when they played the Cowboys, the Cowboys were a better team in the regular season than the Giants that year and the and the Giants beat them. And same with that Packers team they eventually face against Favre. I'd say this, Dan. If we're looking at it respective to each team, right? I don't think there is a team playing its best football like the New York Giants are. That doesn't mean the New York Giants 49ers are, are. 49ers are. No, 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 no. I don't think they're oh. playing their best football. I guess they are because they're on they that wing. Are. Yeah. But, but I feel like they would be better if they had Jimmy Garoppolo True. or maybe they had Trey Lance. If Trey Lance developed, it's kind of hard to say that because he got hurt in week two. They have that rookie quarterback as that liability, but right. they're playing phenomenal. Like I'm not going to take anything away from the 49ers, but the Giants right now are playing, in my opinion, their best football. Maybe you could say that about Tampa Bay, but you're right. Philadelphia is not. Cowboys are not. Definitely. Seattle is not. So that is one thing that Vikings I Vikings are not. Vikings are not. They just got absolutely embarrassed in, in, a, in a game that they really wanted to win against the Green Bay Packers. So right. they are not either. So I, I think that's something that we should take into consideration. Doesn't mean that they're the best team or they're playing the best football, but they're playing, in my opinion, their best football. Yeah. And we'll wrap up here with our fifth reason and then a bonus reason after that. The fifth reason is the Giants have a quarterback right now who's playing undoubtedly the best football of his career in Daniel Jones. Now, you can argue and go back and forth on semantics of what that means. But what Nick said before really stood out to me. There's so many little things that he's done to improve his game and make himself an efficient and not only an efficient quarterback, but somebody who adds value, adds expected points to your game every single week. One of the things that Nick said was like, look, defensive coordinators were starting to really challenge him in the sense that they were really disrespecting him with some of their coverages. The coverages we saw in that Washington game on tape were super disrespectful. They were literally rolling corners to, to, to deep halves and just being like, you're not going to throw the field side. We're leaving it wide open. The very next game, what does Daniel Jones do? He adjusts to what he sees on the tape, to what the coaches tell him, and he hits Richie James, and he hits Isaiah Hodgins on those deep sideline balls. That's really good the th thing to see. Like when you see a quarterback who's taking well to the coaching and not just like, oh, I hear you, coach. You told me to do this. Good. But actually then seeing it and delivering it in the game, like when it actually matters, the very next week, like he did against the Vikings, that's a really good sign. His interception total 
lowest in the NFL. He's adding points with his rushing, with his scrambles. He's a better red zone quarterback than he's ever been, than I've ever seen him by far. He's doing things in the red zone I never saw him do, and that's create off script. His old red zone script, quote-unquote, used to be drop back. It usually was didn't see the window, or there was no window, and that was it. And it was kind of like he threw short a lot back in the like the past three years. It was a lot of just like throw underneath in the red zone, get tackled. All right, we're kicking a field goal. Now it's like move out of the pocket, keep your eyes down the field. And your receivers now are on the same page as you working back to the ball. Or you have different receivers sitting, different receivers working to the pylon, whatever it may be. He finds those receivers touchdown. And so right now, I think the fifth reason for why I think the Giants can make noises, their quarterback is playing the best football of his career. And the offense is actually creating explosive plays. Now, yes. not enough of them because Daniel Jones, he has a lot of admirable metrics to speak to his development and his growth. I tweeted how he was 81% rate in terms of on-target percentage, according to pro football reference. That's important, right? But his yards per attempt is still really low. He's not throwing it that far down the field. But if you look at the Minnesota Vikings game, they had the most explosive plays in that game in the entire season. I think they only had five, which is solid for one game, right? But four of, them, four of them were through the air. And it wasn't just like screen passes that were being taken far. It was Daniel Jones uncorking it and throwing it deep to Isaiah Hodgins and throwing it deep to Richie James. So that's something that definitely intrigues me moving forward, right? What did we love about Daniel Jones in 2019, Dan? I really loved the fact that he was, if he liked the one-on-one -on -one matchup, he was taking yeah, it. Was aggressive. Right? He was aggressive and he wasn't scared. And I don't think Daniel Jones is scared. I think he is taking to the coaching, which is being maybe a little bit more conservative, giving Daniel Jones's track record uh, in the past, maybe holding on the football too long, taking fumbles, throwing interceptions, things like that. I feel like right now at this point in the season, he is apt to throw those deep balls if they're there. And I feel like he is now more comfortable within this offense in doing right. so. So that is one thing that I really like going forward as well is just Daniel Jones's ability to actually attack vertically and maybe throw the ball a little bit deeper than what his yards per attempt would suggest. Yeah. Then that goes with everything, the comfortability within the system and that he's playing his best ball because he's adding so much more than he has ever added really in my mind as a quarterback. And I include 2019. I don't view 2019 the same way the fans who just look at the box score or the total touchdown count do view that because the film in, in this year has been so much better than his 2019 film. I've been so much better. I mean, if you just look at the Washington game from that year, where he threw for 350 and five TDs against a defense that literally quit on its coach and was not, that was an insanely ugly game. Sure. He was better, I guess, 2019 or the Tampa game, but overall consistently over the long course of a whole season, a lot larger sample size, this is by far the best film he's ever put on tape. And I think it's by far the best he's ever played the quarterback position in his life going into this playoffs. And that's a big reason for why I think they can potentially make noise and we'll give the bonus reason. Now it kind of works a lot into this one and a few of the others, but it's really just the efficiency that the, and the style that the Giants play with right now. Here are some really interesting stats I think speak to this last point here. This is from a, a dude M.S. on Big Blue Interactive. So I want to give him a shout out because he dug these stats up. So he deserves it. Just think about all these stats when I'm about to put out there in conjunction with winning football games, right? What do we always say, Nick? What's the best way to win a football game? Win the turnover battle. That's the number one thing you can do to win football games. And it's easier said than done, but win the turnover battle and be efficient in the red zone, in the red area, and on third downs and the money down. So it's turnovers and money down. So here's some stats from the Giants this season. Percent of passes intercepted. 1.15% of all attempts from Daniel Jones, from all Giants quarterbacks have been intercepted. That's the last, that's the best rate in the NFL. Giants are number one in the NFL. Rushing fumbles lost. Dude, this was the craziest stat. The Giants haven't lost a fumble running the football yet this year. That is was wild to see. Like, I, I thought about it. I was like, yeah, you're right. I mean, Barkley, generally, this is one of the most underrated aspects of his game. He's not a fumbler. Barkley's never been a fumbler. And this year, he has zero fumbles. I, I don't even think Barkley, this is uh, a, a stat about fumbles lost. They've had zero. It's best in the NFL. But I'm not sure he even had a fumble at all. Like, yeah, he I, did against the Titans. It went out of bounds, though. Oh, but went out of bounds. Yeah. Okay. I do. I do remember that play now, but that's week one, right? Like this dude just does not fumble the ball. Daniel Jones has had a couple close calls in both as a drop back and then on the run, but they've luckily recovered them. But I feel like Daniel Jones did fumble on a quarterback power against Washington. Yeah. Oh yeah. They lost that one. This is, uh, one, oh yeah. And this is zero. Hmm. That's interesting. Maybe it's just, yeah, he did fumble that. Maybe they're considering that a scramble. 
I don't know. Maybe, but that was a design quarterback run. That was definitely. I'm imagining they're considering run. it a scramble. Yeah. That was definitely. That number should be one. So this is a bad stat. <laughs> no offense to MS, but thank you for digging all this up. Defensive forced fumbles. The Giants have forced 18 fumbles on defense. That's the second best rate in the NFL. So what those first three stats were all turnover stats. The Giants were one, one, and two. Rushing yards per game, fourth best in the NFL. Rushing yards per attempt, fourth, fifth best in the NFL. That speaks to the efficiency on the offensive side of the ball. Pass completion percentage, 66.5, the sixth best in the NFL. Now, what do we say when those route combinations just throw the ball to Barkley, give it to him in space? The Giants are really efficient with what they want to do in the pass game. They want to keep it completed. They want to keep the clock moving. They want to keep the ball on their side of the ball. And they want to keep the chains moving while also trying to get big plays. Field goal percentage, 90.9%, seventh best in the NFL. Like they are, when they bring on Graham Gano to kick a field goal, most of the time it goes in. Defensive pass completion percentage against. 61.4, eighth best in the NFL. So these are all numbers that speak to what the Giants do from both an efficiency standpoint and from a turnover rate standpoint. And that gives them a chance in my mind to make a run. What if a lot of these like teams that don't have the amazing elite quarterbacks have? And, and again, one of the reasons, I just want to bring this up real quick, but one of the reasons why I also feel like the NFC, this is the point four, why the NFC is definitely a lot better is look, we don't, no matter what happens, we're not going to have to face Allen, Joe Burrow, or, or, <laughs> right? And we're going to face Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, Patrick Mahomes. And to be honest, if we're in the AFC, we have to face two of those guys to even get out. And maybe three, if you consider Justin Herbert, if you had to match up. Like, if you throw Herbert in that too, you're likely to face two of those three. They don't have any of those guys. But anyway, my point is trying to make is the teams that don't have those quarterbacks, what is common with those teams that make Super Bowl runs? Like the Niners of yesteryear with the Jimmy year a couple years ago and other teams that have fit that same bill it's that they don't turn the ball over right they never turn the Niners didn't turn the ball over at all during that run and even last year in their run-up to the NFC championship game they were really efficient with the football and so when you're an efficient team that runs the ball well like the Giants did or, or like the 49ers did and not like the Giants do now that completes most of the passes you attempt they may not be for a million yards but you're completing them and that doesn't turn the ball over while also forcing turnovers on the other side of the ball, a.k.a. winning the turnover battle. It gives you a chance to make a run. It puts the variance in your favor. The NFL playoffs is a high-variance system, right? It's a one-game thing. It's not like the NBA or the NHL or even an MLB where you have a series where you go back and forth, and ultimately the best team usually wins out. It's one game that decides it all, like March Madness. So the variance is at an all-time high in this sport. And one of the ways to improve your variance and improve your chance of beating variance is by not turning the ball over, by being efficient when you throw the ball and being by efficient when you run the ball. The Giants are all three of those things. They're efficient as a rushing attack, passing attack from a completion percentage standpoint, and turnover battle. So I think that gives them a chance to beat the variance. And Daniel Jones has thrown five interceptions, and I believe Tyrod Taylor threw one as well. Okay. And they, they have six interceptions. That's just kind of funny, right? Yeah. They just even, they're even Steven right there in terms of their interceptions. Really That's the fumbles that, where they've made their, what they made their do then. And just go through your mind, man, how many huge fumbles. The Baltimore fumble yeah. right on the goal line. Travis Etienne's fumble right on the yeah. goal line. Giants won both of those games, both very narrow margins of victory. Right. Like, those are game-changing plays. They're kind of fluky. You can call them fluky if you want, but also Xavier McKinney is trained to knock that football yes. out. Running backs are trained. Ball security is paramount. So if the running back does not have the best ball security, that stuff gets punched out. You could kind of blame coaching, I guess, but like at the same time, it's individuals' ability to just hold on to that freaking football. The yes. Giants have exploited it this entire season to their benefit, but it's not necessarily a stat that you should consider as one that's going to carry over year after year. Yeah. But for now we can, we can bet we can enjoy the high variance that they've been on. And I think part of it is also what they teach as well. Like both what wink teaches as far as getting the football yeah. out. And then what the giants are teaching on offense as far as protecting the football, a lot of it, it does credit does belong to players like Saquon Barkley, who's just never been a fumbler at any point really in his career or dating back to college. But anyway, hopefully you guys enjoyed that. Those are the five reasons plus a bonus reason why we think the giants can make some noise in the playoffs. Keep it locked and loaded, Big Blue Banter. It's content week. It's playoff week. We got more content coming your way. We're going to do two separate preview pods. We got one with Sean Side, who was on a few weeks ago, the X's and O's dude. And we can't wait to break down tape with him. We're going to ask a lot of interesting things like what's what, should, what are kind of the differences in the Vikings and what can we expect to be different? Things of that nature. We're going to have a preview pod with uh, another person who I'm not going to announce just yet. I'm still locking in the details. I think that might just be me on that one. 
And then we're going to also have a live show with one of our favorite Giants content creators. So that will probably be to preview the matchup, talk a little bit uh, overarching things. It's like a Q&A. So whatever the fans are asking, we'll be answering. So those three shows coming your way for sure. And then one more content thing that we, me and Nick, Nick and I are working on that we haven't announced yet. And we're still kind of hashing the details out on. So keep it loaded. If you enjoy this stuff, there's a lot more coming your way. Thank you to everyone who's tuning in. Please rate, review, subscribe on iTunes or Spotify. Set it to auto-download. Download, then delete. Download, then delete. Download again, then delete. Do all the things to juice the numbers for us, please. If you're watching on YouTube, please hit subscribe. Please hit the like button. Sometimes these videos get like the, the last one we did, the last film review, we got like five, almost 6,000 views, and there was only like 72 likes. 6,000 people are watching the video. I think more than 72 people can hit that like button. It takes one second, and it really helps. So please, if you are watching this on YouTube, just click like on the video right now. Help us get this YouTube page rolling. But other than that, have a great rest of your week. There's a lot more Giants to talk about, so we'll talk to you soon. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.